morning, everyone. I think it was James Brown who said, I feel good. And you may be wondering, what's the big deal? Well, you know that I've said this many a times. I went through grammar school as undiagnosed with dyslexia. I have all these signs of it. But this past Friday, it worked in my favor as people were giving me birthday wishes and sending cards and having big 61, all of it. I feel like a teenager. I'm 16, and uh, thank God that I've learned coping skills to deal with it. But on Friday, I decided I'm not going to practice those coping skills. Instead of 61, I'll ju I'll, I'm just thank you for all those who wish me a 16th birthday. God bless you. And welcome to those who are online on this rainy Sunday. We are in part three of a four-part message series called The Good Work. And our theme verse has been from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's poiam. Poiam is where we get the word poem from. How many know that you have been skillfully created? You have been skillfully created. You are God's work of art. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. As Pastor Matt put it so eloquently last week, he says, you've been created on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose. You are not an accident. You are God's handiwork, skillfully created with a purpose, for a purpose. Now, every time that God leads you to do something that's meaningful. Every time God leads you to, to make a difference, to be generous, to, to do something that benefits others, to do something that's lasting, unfortunately, usually, the opposition will rise its ugly head. Opposition or obstacles will come to try to slow your process from doing what God wants you to do. They'll come an obstacle, they'll come opposition to, to try to thwart that plan so that you get discouraged and you fail to succeed what God has placed on your heart to do. The topic of this morning is dealing with discouragement. Because as God created us with purpose, for a purpose, how many know there's one out to steal, kill, and destroy the very purpose of why God created you? I just want to go back and review where we are in the life of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And in um, 586 B.C., we know that the Babylonians came and they captured the southern kingdom of Judah and took the Israelites into exile. Well, many years later, 
538 BC, approximately 5,000 come back and find Jerusalem totally destroyed. Solomon's temple, gone. The walls torn down. The gates burned. And God raised up two men with leadership capacity. One of the men he raised up, he gave him purpose, was Ezra. And right before the book of Nehemiah, you can read about Ezra, how Ezra came in 538 with his 50,000 with the tasks to rebuild the temple. Now, after two years, they get construction on the temple, but what usually happens? You get all excited. They worked for four years, and all of a sudden, they had opposition from within. They had opposition from without. There were many within saying, this doesn't look like the temple we used to have. This doesn't compare to Solomon's temple. And before you know it, what God has given a group of people to do, they become discouraged from within because it's not what it once used to be. And the work halted for 10 years. And then through um, the prophets of Haggai, uh, they, they were encouraged to start to work in, in 520. And four years later, the, the temple is completed. Now it's 71 years later. And God puts on the heart of Nehemiah. I created you with a purpose. For a purpose. To bring back the glory of God to Jerusalem. And I want you to lead a group of people to rebuild the walls. And as you would know it, there was external strife. There was internal strife. But if you don't know the whole story, I'm here to tell you today that God miraculously led those people to rebuild those walls in a miraculous 52 days. 52 days they accomplished the task. I want to share with you what I got out of my takeaway from chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, there are great suggestions of how we today can deal with discouragement. And as I see, saw how Nehemiah dealt with discouragement, all, were, all of a sudden, I, God just laid on my heart, look at these suggestions. These are beautiful suggestions on how to deal with discouragement. Chapter 3, the wall starts to go up. The repair on the gates start. And how many know that any time you start to do a work that glorifies God, the enemy is going to show up? Come on. We see it all throughout Scripture. Any time a group of people gather together to do something that will glorify God, you better expect the enemy to show up. And sure enough, in chapter 4, when Sembalat heard, Sembalat, he's the bad guy, heard that they were rebuilding the walls, he became angry and greatly incensed. Well, what difference does it make to you anyway? What business of it is yours? And what does Sam 
Sambalit, what does he do? Sambalit, what does he do? We read, he ridiculed. Some translations, he scorned. Today we would say, he made fun of the Jews. In the presence of his associates, in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer up sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring those stones back to life from the heap of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, and, and sure enough, man, how quick naysayers start to come together. Tobiah said, <laughs> comes to his side and said, what, what they're building? Even if a fox climbed up on it, it would break down their wall of stones. What do we see taking place? When the work starts that is going to glorify God, you better expect the opposition to show up. I want to talk about the opposition from without. The opposition from outside the camp. Take a look at the ridicule, at the scorn. What were they really saying? Let's look down at that, that lower part of the yellow. Can they bring these stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? Now, what is really being said? What's really being said is these people are trying to do something that is just impossible. How can they expect to bring back these stones to life? What they're trying to do, what you're trying to do, it's impossible. Face it. And then they start looking at those who are building the walls. Do you know who's literally building the walls? If you look carefully, the wall builders are made up of merchants, goldsmiths, and perfume makers. What in the world, what does a perfume maker know about building a wall? What does a merchant know about building the wall? And they key in on the skill set of the workers that they don't have the know-how. What are these feeble Jews doing? They don't even have the proper people to build the wall. And then what else are they saying? They start to blaspheme God. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? What are they saying now? The critics are saying, yeah, sure. Before you know it, they're going to be offering up sacrifices, expecting divine intervention. And before you know it, they think that their wall is going to be built in a day miraculously just because of this divine intervention. You see the, the scorn, the ridicule, the mocking, the putting down? It was a number of years ago, probably about 35 years ago, when I was in Clifton, I got a call from this woman whose husband was a pastor, and he had passed away 
that she wanted to know if I would want to come to her house and go through his library and take any books that he had. Hello, somebody. Hashtag blessing of God. And I went and I picked up many old books. And one of the books I picked up was by J. Sidlow Baxter. J. Sidlow Baxter was born in Australia. And at a very young age, he went to the school of ministry that Spurgeon had in England. And he wrote a, a book. It's an excellent book. In fact, it was published in 1960, the year I was born, on Mark These Men. And in the book, Mark These Men, he talks about different men in the Bible. And he has a whole long chapter on Nehemiah. And when it comes to this passion, a passage of scripture. Listen to what J. Sidlow Baxter says. Remember, the world's ridicule is the ridicule that springs from spiritual blindness. I don't know if you catch that, but that's very profound. The world's ridicule is the ridicule that springs from spiritual blindness. They're mocking them because they're spiritually blind. They don't know of divine intervention. They're totally blind to divine, uh, divine intervention. And, and the question comes up, how do you respond to critics? How do you respond to haters? How do you respond to doubters? Well, as J. Sidlow Baxter says, sometimes you just have to consider the source. They're spiritually blind, and they just don't comprehend. They're on a totally different wavelength than you are. You consider the source. How does Nehemiah deal with his critics, haters, and doubters? Do you know how he, he deals with them? This may surprise you. Are you ready? You know what Nehemiah does? He doesn't respond. He doesn't respond. Notice what Nehemiah doesn't do. He doesn't respond. He doesn't engage. He doesn't reply. He doesn't become defensive. Nehemiah says, there's no way you're going to box me in a corner and put me in a trap. Usually, most of the time, our critics want us to get defensive. And Nehemiah says, there's no way you're going to make me Stoop down to your level. I'm going to rise above. Because what do doubters, naysayers, and haters try to do? They try to get our focus off of what God wants us to do. And Nehemiah goes, I'm not going there. I'm not going to stoop. I have a mission from God. And yeah, you're spiritually blinded to it. And there's no way I'm going to sit down because no matter what I say, you're not going to understand it. And I'm not here to convert my critics. I'm here to do the will of God. 
But notice what he does do. He doesn't respond, but he prays. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or plot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the faces of the builder. Whoa. Can I be honest? There's a part of me, I just love that prayer. <laughs> There's a part of me that just says, get them, God. And then there's another part of me that says, I don't know if I can tell you that's a good prayer to pray. And I have to give Nehemiah the benefit of the doubt. That's before we had red letter print in the Bible. You know what red letter print is. Red letter print is the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. But before Jesus said, turn the other cheek, it was eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Get them, God. Sick them. They're trying to discourage. They're trying to defeat. And in the face of opposition... Nehemiah prays, and after he prays, the very next verse says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. Do you catch it? Do you see what's going on? The critics come to try to divert. Nehemiah says, I'm staying focused. I'm not going to lower myself to the critics. He prays. And he says, Okay, guys, time to go back to work. And that's what Nehemiah did in the face of opposition. So he rebuilt. And all the people worked with all their hearts. How did all the people work with their hearts? Because Nehemiah didn't let the critics get inside his workers' hearts. He wasn't going to see that his whole camp was discouraged, defeated. What I so love about Nehemiah is Nehemiah is, is so practical, but yet he's spiritual, isn't he? He prays. And then he gets back to work. Later you'll see when, when other uh, uh, critics come. and he, There's a point where Nehemiah takes the workers and he puts them to work. Then he takes half of the other workers and he, he gives them swords and spears and, and bows and, and armor and for protection. And then the guys that are, 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 are bringing in all the material... With one hand, they carry the material, and with the other hand, they carry the sword. And isn't that practical? Sometimes we need to be practical as well as spiritual. And that's what I see Nehemiah. But then we get down to verse 
verse 10. Where verse 10 says, Meanwhile. Meanwhile. As the critics keep saying, and the haters keep hating, and the doubters keep causing you to try to doubt. Meanwhile, can I say something? After a while, there's only so much you can take. And the enemy just doesn't give up real easy. The people of Judah said, the strength of Pastor Jeff is gone. No, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble. We can't rebuild this wall. They're right. What were we thinking? Stupid or something? Because it just kept coming and coming and coming. What are you feeble Jews doing? How do you think you're going to accomplish this? You don't have the skill set. You don't have the knowledge. Listen. When it comes from outside the camp, it's one thing. But when the critics start coming inside the camp, it's another. And when I think of internal opposition, internal opposition, it hurts. But what hurts even more and what's even more difficult to deal with is the internal voices. When the internal voices within yourself start to doubt who you are in Christ. When the internal voices start saying, you're a bad pastor. I don't know if, am I really called? When those internal voices of insecurity start raising their ugly heads. Man, how many know what I'm talking about? That's a hard battle to fight. Because you know what God thinks about you. But you allow the internal voices of insecurity raises its ugly head. Also, our enemies said, our enemies, before they know it or see us, they'll be right there among them. And they will kill them and, and put them to, put them and end the work. Then the Jews who lived near them, the Jews who, their, their own people who lived outside of Jerusalem, they came and told us ten times over, over and over and over, wherever you turn, they will attack. They will attack. They will attack. And 
And sometimes it gets real tiring fighting all the voices that you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Do you really know what you're doing? You don't really care. You'll never make it. You'll never accomplish. The outward opposition will only be as loud as the internal securities allow them to be. Think about that. The outward opposition will only be as loud as the internal securities. I believe the, the Israelites, they were, they, were, they, were, they were suffering burnout. They were tired. They were working feverishly to rebuild the wall. They get it half up. They're tired. And now all of a sudden, their internal securities, we can't really do this. How is this going to be possible? What are we thinking about? We don't really have the skill set. And as loud as those internal insecurities, as those voices became louder, the outward opposition, those voices became even louder, and they were discouraged. Ever been there before? How do you deal with it? That's why it's so important. I think of David. Remember when David's men were going to stone him. David got alone and encouraged himself in the Lord. I'm telling you what, sometimes the voices are so strong. You got to get alone. You got to shut yourself in your closet. And you got to sing the praises of God. And you got to listen to the voice of God. And you got to read God's word. And that's why I cherish my devotional time. That's why I love my private prayer time with the Lord. Because it's during those times that those inner securities become quiet and God's voice arises. I love what takes place next. After I looked things over, here's Nehemiah. After I, I looked things over and I saw the camp was discouraged and I saw the inner securities were, were making the external voices even louder, I, I looked around over. I stood up to the nobles, to the officials, and to the rest of the people. And listen to what he says. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't, believe, believe, don't be afraid of Sembalat and Tobiah. Don't be afraid of those inner voices of insecurity within. Don't believe what the neighbors are saying. Don't believe what they are saying. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And how does Nehemiah deal with this spirit of discouragement? He remembers the Lord. Remember that He is with us. Remember 
that he will not leave us. Remember that he will not forsake us. Remember that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remember that there is nothing impossible with God. Remember. Guys, this battle is not ours, but this battle is God's. We are doing a work just to glorify him, and we can't allow this spirit of discouragement interfere. We can't allow the naysayers and the haters and the critics get us off focus of what God wants us to do. Remember. And all of a sudden, I can, I can picture Nehemiah saying, I remember when I heard about your plight, and my heart broke, and I prayed, and I fasted for month after month after month. I prayed, and I fast, and, and I remember how God gave me favor when I went into the throne room of the king. And, and how I expressed my desire to the king and the king released me to come here to Jerusalem and I remember the protection and the provision the king gave to us. I, Pastor Bonnie, you can come. I remember coming here, winning favor with you. And I, I remember how, how God miraculously, look around, look at how the walls are halfway up. Look at what God has done, folks. I remember. And then as he starts to remember what God has done in his life, all of a sudden I can hear some of the people thinking and saying, remember our ancestors. Remember when they were in Egypt and in bondage, how God miraculously through Moses allowed his people to go. And how God miraculously parted the Red Sea and how they crossed on dry ground. And when the enemy changed his mind and were in pursuit of them, God allowed the enemy to get in the middle of the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, the water started to flow and the, the, the enemy were, were, were swallowed up, drowned. And remember how God put a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and how he gave us manna from heaven to eat remember he is great and awesome and there have been many times in, in my life I, I sit and I fight off the voices of insecurity. I, I fight off the voices of the enemy that you'll never amount to anything. You're, you're not good enough. Did God really call you? And I sit and I remember that at the age of 16, God saved me, baptized me in the Holy Spirit and put a call on my life. I remember how God gave me the grace and the strength to make it through Bible school. I remember how God gave, gave me a beautiful bride, a great companion, my best friend, the best support I have. I remember God's guidance from New Jersey to Winchester, from Winchester, Virginia, back to New Jersey. And I remember how God called us out of Clifton to Freehold, to a broken and hurting church. 
I remember how God allowed miracle after miracle to restore broken hearts to men, broken relationships. I remember miracle after miracle, how God united us and how God built us up. I remember many years ago, 26 years ago, praying and God saying, if you take care of things abroad, I'll take care of things at home. And after 19 years, we added up what our church gave to missions and it was $1.6 million that same year God allowed us to approve a building project of 1.6 million. And basically, you know the story, when we moved in, it was basically debt-free, take care of things abroad, and I'll take care of things at home. And then over the next, next seven years, God allowed us to give another 1.2 million. If you add that up, over in 26 years, God has allowed us to give 2.8 million and I believe at the end of this year we're going to hit 3 million dollars for the cause of missions. Remember the Lord. He is great and awesome. And then he says this. He says Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your family. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your homes. Remember the Lord your God and fight for your healing. Remember the Lord your God and fight that God will see you out of debt this year. Remember the Lord your God and continue to fight for your marriage. Remember the Lord your God and fight for your grandchildren. Fight for your children that they would come into full knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Fight and remember the Lord your God for the souls that are lost and are need of a Savior. Remember the Lord your God and fight. Would you stand with me? Don't listen to the voices of the haters and the critics and the naysayers. From, consider the source. They don't have spiritual insight. And the battles within. Man, sometimes we fight over the pettiest things that God tries to that this enemy tries to divert us from what's really important. And those inner voices that we all battle with. Nehemiah says to these people, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. 